appreciate you being with us here in the second hour of the Morning Tailgate. Thank you so much. It's Lindsey Brown, Vinny Bonsignor. I'm Clay Baker, the Morning Tailgate, as we're live in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studios here on this Thursday. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we'll talk to Case Kiefer from the Las Vegas Sun, and we'll continue to get your thoughts as well on the text line and phones at 702-365-9200. You know, uh, last year when we were going over a very important draft for the Raiders, uh, Ian Cummings from ProFootballNetwork.com came on the show and provided some really uh, some awesome, not only assessments, but evaluations and projections of the rookie class and how they would look in the NFL. And we're really happy to have Ian with us now, ProFootballNetwork.com, the lead NFL draft analyst there. Ian, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. As a matter of fact, I'm wrapping up uh, my new seven-rounder. It's going to be out this weekend. Another fun one with a lot of great team fits on not just round one, but my favorite thing is day two, day three. Uh, those picks can make a break franchise. We've seen the Chiefs, the value that they've been able to add in those ranges. <laughs> It can change the game. So I got another projection coming out, but it's the NFL draft cycle. It's the grind. Uh, happy to be doing it. Happy to be back here talking to you guys. Oh, that's the stuff we love, especially your work in the mid rounds is really exemplary. And you know, before we get to that, can we can you just kind of touch on because uh, quarterback tiers for your for example, like when you began making tiers for the top QBs in this draft in twenty twenty four, who are they, and has that order changed much since the end of the college football season for you? Yeah, it's a good question because I think this QB class has and is still continuing to evolve, right? In the media uh, perspective, we're seeing, you're getting hints that behind the scenes, some NFL teams are maybe higher on guys like J.J. McCarthy, right? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see where it all settles. For me personally, it started out with Drake May and Caleb Williams at the very top. That has not changed. I still think they're separated as prospects, but some people have Jaden Daniels in that discussion too, and I'm not one to say that's irrational because you look at Jaden Daniels on tape, his ability to create, his ability to create big plays, both as a passer and a runner, is near unmatched, right? So Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, I think all three of those guys are very much worth top five, top ten capital. After those guys, there's a little bit of a gap on my board, and then you have Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., the two veterans who were very productive at the collegiate level. But then you got J.J. McCarthy, who's in that group too. McCarthy, as a grading, right, there's a little bit of uncertainty, a little polarizing because down the stretch, wasn't really asked to elevate that Michigan offense as much as he would like. But you can see the talent is there, the running ability, the throwing, the arm elasticity. And then there are flashes of really good pocket management, processing ability, anticipation, fearlessness, testing those middle-of-the-field windows. Um, I, I think there's a lot to work with with him, and he's also three years younger, just 21 years old. So you factor that into the projection, he's definitely in that group as well. That's my top tiers. Those are my top three tiers. I think it's William and May at the top. You got Daniels a little bit farther down, but still in that top 15, and then those three at the bottom. All right, let's let's talk about Daniels, and let's talk about J.J. McCarthy. Um, you say that on your board he's, he's beyond the 10 for, for Jaden Daniels, or is he – uh, a firm top ten in your in your on your board. Daniels is top fifteen on hmm. my on my personal board, but I can definitely see him going top ten to top five. I think he's there for sure. I think it, with QBs, it's already always a little bit of an accelerant, right? Like with my board, my raw grades, maybe they'll be a little bit lower. But as an NFL draft, as a media analyst too, you know, it's also my job to kind of you know acknowledge where there could be a spread or some variance across the board from NFL teams. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's probably going to be where he's going to. I'm thinking that he's going to go top three, top four uh, at the very at the very least. Uh, so unless the Raiders trade up uh, into that area, then they're not going to have access, I don't believe, to, to Jaden uh, Daniels. Uh, I'd be surprised uh, if he would be there at number 13. But assuming that that is the case, 
uh, would you think that um, you know? And forget about the uh, about the evaluations for one second. Just reading the board and reading the room. Do you think somebody like a JJ McDaniel's would be there uh, at, at number thirteen? And do you think that that would be a wise uh, choice for the Raiders at that position if they stay at number thirteen? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you play the board and someone like Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy is there, definitely pull the trigger on that. Because looking at how it's progressing, right, you mentioned it, Jaden Daniels is probably not going to make it out of the top ten. Probably, right. I think the floor for him right now is the Falcons at eight if he's still there for them. But you mentioned it too, the top three, all three of the top teams need a quarterback. And Jaden Daniels is still a top 15 player on my board. You put in that QB positional value modifier that raises raises them up even more, right? So if you're the Patriots, yeah, maybe you could get Marvin Harrison Jr., but there's no guarantee you're going to get a quarterback anywhere near as good as these two if you try and trade in back into the back end of round one, right? So it's a big risk to take passing on that guy. So most mock drafts I do, I have the Patriots picking whoever's left of that top three QB group at number three just because they need it. It's a valuable position. And then J.J. McCarthy, we're seeing smoke that he could rise into the top ten. And with how talented and young he is, right, I think interviews will be a big component of that. But everything we've seen and heard is that he's a very good player off the field, very good leader, got a really good head on his shoulders, something to develop, something to work with. And you look at the talent, the arm elasticity, again, you know, the creation ability, showing in flashes, right? He wasn't asked to elevate as much as Jaden Daniels was for LSU, but you can definitely see that raw physical talent is there. So I look at a team like the Vikings, maybe they want to trade up. It depends on what happens with Kirk Cousins, but I see them as a team that might be incentivized to trade up into the top 10. You look at a team like the Chargers, maybe they trade down with them. Number five is the spot where they could land and get McCarthy because he's that valuable of a quarterback, right? So I think... If there's going to be a disconnect with some of these guys because it is a little bit of a projection, but QB is a scarce position, and you need QBs to win. I think that supply and demand equation is going to drive the price up always. We're talking to Ian Cummings, uh, NFL draft analyst for the Pro Football Network, and the quarterback position is not the only highly important, highly rare uh, position group that that has a lot of really great pieces in this year's prospect class. And so I want to talk to you, you know, outside of those first rounders, especially when we're talking about the offensive tackle position, because if it doesn't work out at quarterback for the Raiders, I think this is where you kind of look uh, to fortify that roster with the best possible prospect you can. So how do you assess the differences between somebody who's a first round talent? And I know. That price is largely dictated on market pressures and everything else. But a first-round talent and, say, somebody that's maybe a second, third-round talent, like how big of a difference is that gap? It's a pretty big difference for me. And that's not to say you can't get a good player on day two, right? There's a few uh, natural right tackles that I really like on day two. Uh, I look at Roger Rosengarten from Washington. Uh, He needs to up his play strength a little bit, but the dude is an athlete. I mean, he's such an effortless mover, and he's actually pretty – pretty far along technically too with his footwork his synergy his hand usage a very physical player as well i look at a guy like blake fisher from notre dame who i think gets overlooked at times but you know he's very explosive very powerful i think he improved his synergy and hand usage this year opposite joe alt so there are a few options at right tackle patrick paul if he were to fall i think he could be sneaking around one i don't have him graded nearly that high but six foot seven three thirty pounds over 36-inch arms, so I think at right tackle, where he's in the QB's line of sight, because he's not that natural in recovery, uh, but I think he'd be a really good fit on the right side. But you mentioned it, the gap is pretty large, because I think the top right tackles in this class are just so, so good. Taliese Fuaga from Oregon State is a blue-chip player on my board. J.C. Latham is on the fringe of blue-chip range for me, too. He's in my top 15. Tyler Guyton is rising up my board. He's a little bit more 
he's got room to work on the hand usage, right? The timing and as a run blocker too, there are reps where if he gets out in space, managing his pad level and his base load isn't quite as consistent. But Tyler Guyton, we saw it at the senior bowl, right? The upside is so tantalizing because he's athletic, he's big, he's long, and the flexibility is just absurd with him. And I think flexibility is one thing. It's not mm-hmm. just an athletic, a physical trait, but it's also a fail-safe for you to kind of work on your mechanics, right? He's so natural at acquiring leverage as a pass protector because of his flexibility. And I think teams will really like that for such a young player. So Tyler Guyton, J.C. Latham, uh, Taliesin Kuwaga, and then other guys like Amarius Mims and Kingsley Somatire, guys who have, have experience on both the left and the right side, uh, those guys are more mid to late first rounders for me, but still, uh, kind of a they're in that gap between the Raiders picks. So if you don't get a guy at thirteen, it's not super likely that you'll get those guys. You might have to punt to someone down the road. But there is a gap. There are quality options later on, but it's always a give and take, and it's going to come down to is a QB on the board or can we trade up for someone we want. Oh, this is interesting. ProFootballNetwork.com is the site. Go online and read some of the great work that Ian is doing up there. The great scouting reports and the draft profiles are there for you. ProFootballNetwork.com here with us on the morning tailgate. You remember last year when we had you on and we talked about the certain positions had an abundance of talent in the draft, like tight ends, even corner. Uh, This year's draft, which would you say are the positions that have the most abundance of talent that you could find good value in the mid-rounds? Yeah, for sure. I think wide receiver is one that really stands out to me. I mean, it seems like every year we say that, right? But I think we're living in a wide receiver golden age, and you're going to get a lot of value in, in the middle round. I look at guys like Malik Washington, who really showed out at the Shrine Bowl, round 5'8", 190, really good three-level threat. Ricky Pearsall, very natural separator, right? Uh, you got guys like Jermaine Burton from Alabama, a speed guy with some route running ability. Luke McCaffrey from Rice, former QB, who's very versatile, movement Z type of guy. Uh, but there's a lot of mid-round options. I think some of it's going to depend on how the board falls because a few guys could rise a little bit above their projection, but there's a lot of talent, especially for the Raiders. Hunter Renfro, his long-term contract situation, is a little uncertain, right? So if you want to get a guy in your system uh, kind of preemptively, I think there will be options there. And then I think cornerback, right? We mentioned it last year. It was a position that had a lot of depth. I think this year is the same story. Uh, the cornerback class, I think all, a lot of different molds at corner, which is really impressive to me, really exciting. You've got guys who are man coverage specialists. You've got guys who have man, off-man zone experience. You've got long, some longer guys, but a lot of a little bit smaller, but fleet-footed, athletic. You know they can translate in coverage, and a lot of playmaking ability, too. The ball skill is absolutely there. So I think those are the two positions that stand out to me. Offensive tackle as well, but I think offensive tackle – after the early rounds, after that kind of top 8 to 10 range that we've been talking about a lot, I think there is a little bit of a gap right there. Corner, wide receiver, uh, those positions in particular, there's value that stacks all the way down the board. Ian, when I was in Mobile, Alabama uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I fell in love, not like love, with Quinion uh, uh, Mitchell, a cornerback from Toledo. And uh, I don't know if he'll be around at 13, if the Raiders stay at 13. Uh, but I think this guy's a day-one starter and an impact player. What are your thoughts on the Toledo cornerback? Uh, yeah, he entered the cycle as my CB3, and I'm doing some regrading. He he might challenge for CB2. Terion Arnold from Alabama is my CB1. Nothing's going to change that. He's a top-10 guy yeah. for me. But Quinion Mitchell is he's just it, – it's so exciting. You love when prospects have that high-floor, high-ceiling combination. Some guys get billed as one or the other, but you look at Quinion Mitchell – and he's a guy who, at the Senior Bowl in particular, it really got put under the spotlight. But you go back to his Toledo tape, 
I mean, he was playing more side saddle off man a lot where he's kind of gliding behind receivers as their shadow and then clicking and closing, right? But the reaction quickness, the processing speed uh, is instant with him. And then the speed to close gaps with the explosiveness is just as fast, right? This is a guy who will probably run in the 4-3 range of the NFL combine. And I think that's just going to solidify his stock is an early to mid-round, mid-first-round guy. I think you're looking at the speed, the playmaking ability. I think he had, what, six interceptions and 46 pass breakups in his final two seasons. So elite playmaker, elite processor. And at the Senior Bowl, he really answered the final question that we had for him, which which was you played a lot of off-man and zone at Toledo. Can you play press man? Can you match guys to the line? Can you stack hip transitions? And can you use targeted physicality? to gather wide receivers and crowd them at stats. And there were a few hiccups here and there, but overall I thought it was a resounding win for him, and he showed that he could do that, right? So I think the playmaking ability, the really clean profile that he has, um, I think 13, there's a chance he could be there just because there's a lot of high-quality prospects at other positions. I think you have to consider it if he is. There's a lot of depth at CB as well, too, and we saw Antonio Pierce, once he kind of took on that head coaching role, some guys got coached up down the stretch last year. Jack Jones played well, but there's a lot of, you know, free agency questions for them there, too. So I think, you know, if he's there, man, he's such a tantalizing playmaker and a talent, um, you definitely got to consider it. Talking to Ian Cummings from the Pro Football Network. And one of the theory things I've been chewing on and, and asking some of our guests throughout the week is is about this new challenge in the red zone, right? There's Offenses are really struggling to get six, and they're settling a lot more for three. And and we asked one of our guests, Marcus Johnson, about, like, why is this? It, it, what, what's really that next wrinkle that people are going to look to try to break through that? Because that's what this league does. It and he said it's all about separation and people that are able to create separation. That's a different type of skill set when you have a lot to feel, a field to work with versus very little. So who in that wide receiver group that you think is so deep has the best chance to be that separator in, in, in very small spaces? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, we get enamored, especially in the red zone, we get enamored with these contested catch guys, right? Mm-hmm. You know, can you win those 50-50 balls? But there's so much variance in a 50-50 situation, and there's a lot of, you know, things that go into playing that properly. It's not just about size. It's about timing, coordination. It's just a lot to bank on, and you mentioned it. If you can get guys to separate. Now, one reason Andy Reid has been so good is that even in the red zone, he's very good at scheming guys open, too, right? It's not just about separation, mm-hmm. but also having guys who – can you know separate independently off of those opportunities is, is very valuable. So going off of that, a few guys in the middle rounds that I really like as their natural separators. Uh, Jamari Thrash from Louisville. I know he had some really nice reps in the Senior Bowl, but on tape he's very fluid. Uh, the stop and start ability is really strong with him. The sinking ability, it stems, uh, and he's a guy who's very manipulative with his spacing, moving upfield, his alignment. He knows how to get DBs offset, and he's got enough burst to work with. I think in the red zone, you're looking at a guy with that thinking capacity and those intentional head fakes. You know, he's just very natural at offsetting and capitalizing, offsetting, capitalizing. I think he can improve with the catch point a little bit. The hands want them to be a little bit more consistent. But Jamari Thrash, I mean, he's aptly named because he thrashes DBs. So he's one. Uh, Javon Baker from UCF is another one. He also showed out the Senior Bowl, but he's a little bit bigger, 6'1", I want to say 208. Uh, but he's got very strong hands. So I think if you're looking for a red zone guy who can separate, uh, Javon Baker really stands out to me. And he's unique because he doesn't have the deep speed to separate on the vertical plane, right? So I, I almost think he's more actionable in the red zone because he doesn't need that speed, right? He's just so energetic 
with his short area motions. He's got a really deep release package, and he can use targeted physicality with his strong frame to compound separation, too. And even if he doesn't have elite separation, the hand strength is there to compensate for that. So those are a couple guys. And then I think Ricky Pearsall, I mentioned him earlier, but again, a very smooth separator. I would love to see him work. And then one more that I'll throw out there, uh, Taj Washington from USC. Uh, oh, the dude yeah. is explosive. He's high energy. Uh, he's ac- very active with his feet. Uh, you can see him some rack touches, but I think that energy uh, is very conducive to separation in the red zone. So I could go on and on. There's a lot of options, but those are a few that stand out to me. No, go on. We love yeah, this, man. I, this I'm just great. like, this is exactly what we're looking for. <laughs> oh, I want to know who is that. That is so I, cool. That the, the sinking capacity is something <laughs> that really uh, that 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 goes around my world a million times. I, I want to know who your top tackle is because there were, I, you know, even at the uh, at the at the um, in Mobile, and I can't wait to see the tackles uh, at the at the combine because more of them are going to be there because it's not just the seniors that uh, that were there in, in Mobile. Who's your top tackle? Yeah, my top offensive tackle. I mean, most people will have it, Olu Fashanu or Joe Alt. My top tackle is Joe Alt. I think, you know, either one is a very good choice. I'm not going to argue if you have Olu as number one. For me, just Joe Alt has the best combination of physical talent and, and kind of technical refinement. I think for coming into the year, six foot eight, three fifteen. He's a former tight end. He's a just superb athlete. I mean, he's very, very explosive out of his stance, but it's like an effortless explosiveness, yeah. right? He gets great depth on the kick. He's very agile. Uh, the recovery capacity, the flexibility. I know a couple cycles ago, Charles Cross, uh, he went top 10 to the Seahawks. That was one of his most marketable traits, that recovery athleticism. I think Joe Alt is in the same tier, except he's six foot eight, man. I mean, he's so tall. Usually there's a point of diminishing returns with taller guys. They're not as free-flowing in recovery, but Joe Alt is a freak of nature in that sense. He's so flexible, so good at kind of closing gaps and maintaining and kind of re- recalibrating his leverage and blocking angles. And then at the same time, too, this year, one of the only one of the few things I wanted to improve him, him to improve upon, my bad, uh, was his hand usage, his hand placement, and then his play strength. He needed to get stronger. He needed to get a little more precise with his hand usage, and he did both things. So he's a powerful run defense, run blocker as well with that length, that explosiveness. For me, he's got the better combination of talent and utility. Olu Pashanu is still very good, still very athletic, very synergetic as a pass protector, but there are times when he exposes his frame to power a little bit too much, can lose balance. And then as a run blocker, want him to kind of work on sustaining power through reps, too. So I think they're both blue chip guys. They're both very high on my board. But Joe Wald is my top tackle. Oh, this is great. Ian, I tell you what. Can we get this once a week? I know, like, man. Up I, like... to the draft. Ian, you don't have anything going on in your life, right? Do you have time? Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, I should be able to. For sure. Easy. Just move stuff around, right? Easy. Ian, we, we want to give you keys to an apartment out oh, here God. so we can be closer to this uh, wealth of information. And I'll tell you what, everyone should get up there to profootballnetwork.com and find out. Oh, the, Ian's going to have the new uh, seven-round mock draft coming out this weekend ahead of the NFL Combine. You can also follow him on X at IC underscore draft. Uh, you give us a wealth of information. One that we really covet and love, man. Thank you for doing it, Ian. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking to you guys. All right, have a great day. Ian Cummings here with us. And yeah, man, that is good stuff. I tell you, uh, he talks about people and like their athletic attributes like I would like to talk about people. And it's always on a projection of what this will look like in the NFL. It's not just an assessment of what you did in college. It's like, what's next for you? And that. JJ McCarthy is the perfect example uh, of that because he played in a certain he had to play a certain way because that's how he was asked yeah. to play and you know what that's mm-hmm. that's a, that's unselfishness that's you know um, he did it did it for the good of the team and they won a championship uh, out of it so it all worked out but I think there's a lot more left 
to be seen with him, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that we didn't see in college. And so now the trick is, as an NFL talent evaluator, you have to project that. Is it really there, first of all? We didn't see it, so, we, so we're, we're, we're thinking that it's there. Is it there? Is there enough footage out there that he's shown, yeah, if I'm asked to do this more, I could do it more and do it better because I just wasn't asked to yeah. do it. Ian said it correctly. There's still a lot to work with. Right. Given his age at 21, like, exactly. man, the sky's the limit when you think about what could be gained. But to think about, you know, uh, putting him in the same mix as like, you know, Knicks and a Penix after, you know, Daniels, Williams and May. That that sets him apart, I think, from all, from maybe like those uh, grades where you weren't really certain of where he sits with everyone else, especially coming off the Senior Bowl. Yeah, and I think that um, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more intrigued by JJ because of the age. He's three years younger uh, than than Bo Nix and, and and Michael Penix, and obviously also the injury factor. Uh, he's he's much more clean than Michael Penix uh, is, so I think that that may play into it as well. And and he's he's an athlete. The guy runs like a four, 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 five. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he could run. He's got a cannon. He was really good on third downs, very accurate thrower on third downs on high leverage situations. So if that is truly projectable, um, you might have somebody that has uh, upside to be the best quarterback in this draft when it's all said and done. Um, but again, a lot of it is going to be projection and how you feel about what you see uh, through the film and then what we're going to see at the scouting combine. Uh, you know, normally I don't get excited about just any offensive lineman, but when he talks glowingly about a lot of the right tackles, but even the top tackles as Joe Walt, um, you know, it's like if, when you have scarcity of certain talents at certain positions that you know that if you don't get that guy uh, on the offensive line in the first round, uh, that kind of talent really is not going to be there in the second, third, and mid. Can you rounds. imagine Joe Alt playing right tackle? He'd probably have to come in and play right tackle uh, because you know uh, Miller, Colt Miller, is is playing left tackle. But alongside Michael Mayer, his former teammate at Notre Dame, uh, and we know what what a great blocker Michael Mayer became uh, when it was all said and done in his first season. Uh, how what a devastating run blocking situation that could be. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, what, what could be done with that duo, right? Oh. My goodness. I don't know if he's going to – he won't be there at 13. There's no way unless unless you know some of these quarterbacks start really pushing their way into that top 10 and start pushing some of these other players down to uh, you know that, that 13 range. But it's, it, it would be hard for me to believe that Joe Alt would be there at 13. That would be like a blessing for the, for the Raiders. Were you getting that warm and fuzzy feeling, Lindsay, when you were talking about wide receiver separation in the red zone? <laughs> like, I, love, I love the thought of what uh, Thrash from Louisville could do, but at the same time – uh, it, would you already have like lots of wide receivers already? Like, what else would you want in that package? I still want explosive offense. I still want to have. Oh right, I was guys just that asking can do those many d- to different conceptually things. understand it. I don't necessarily like look at wide receiver as something that I target in the high rounds for the mm-hmm. Raiders. Like, right. I just from a genuine theory standpoint, I want to see how this league is going to move. And so if if that's where Marcus thinks it's going to be, it's going to be in, in these kind of thrasher separation type of things. And you're like, okay, so who are going to be those big players? Mm-hmm. Because I think we want to know uh, for whatever reason, probably fantasy, all that other stuff of like there's there, there there's it moves into like specialization and then it goes too far and then you get a bunch of tweeners. We're in a tweener era right now, by, in my opinion, yeah. just because like tight ends do everything, running backs do everything. Like you have to be as versatile as possible. But when you enter into an era or, or, or just a time where this particular part of this game is very hard and you need – there's only so many uh, ways you can go about and break it. And because mm. it's red zone, because of the lack of field, I feel like you're going to need a specialist. 
And so specialists used to just be the burners that would go vertical down the field. Well, now specialists, I think, are going to be moving into those uh, not just yak masters, but people that can shake right off the the line and and find a way to to get that freedom right away. Those and quick Ian, throws. Ian brings good. up a great point: the scheme in the red zone uh, is is just as important. You saw the game winning touchdown by the by the Chiefs was beautifully schemed up. I mean, they they schemed up a wide open wide receiver. And if you watch that play, and I've watched it, everybody does their job to the T to to free up um you know the the wide receiver to get the touchdown so there there is absolutely that as well and i would say that wide receiver although i'm with you lindsay i don't think it's going to be high up in the draft but it's kind of a sneaky big you always make a pick well the, the reason being is you start looking at contracts you have to start looking mm-hmm. at contracts as well and age and when you look at devonte um you know 31 years old now uh coming into you know the 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 last few years of his contract the guaranteed part of his contract where is he going to be in a couple of years you start have to you have to start thinking about replacements for those types of players you must mm-hmm. right exactly so while it might not be that first pick or even that second pick somewhere along the line you have to start thinking about replenishing so that you have somebody ready uh, in case you know, um, it's it's just the end of his time. So uh, we'll 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 see about all that. But yeah, the, uh, the the draft. We'll see Ian. We'll probably try to get him on while we're out in Indianapolis, so that uh, so that we could get an update. We'll get uh, him on tomorrow. <laughs> and the next. I know. Next well, day, he, he gets excited when you talk about the wide receivers. He's like, "This is the golden age of wide receiver." Not unlike last year, where you can get great talent, yeah. starting talent in the mid rounds. Well, he's speaking and a language that I that. that I understand, and so that's just where like, was Rasheed Rice drafted. I mean, even you 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 think like, all right, as a second rounder, you know, like it, it, people were still thinking like, all right, well, he's got to live up to that uh, outstanding. And he you did. Know, he did. He totally he did. Was he was our second leading wide receiver. Yeah, he was. He wasn't necessarily on everyone's board, but uh, you know, Casey found something really special. But I want to take a look at Luke McCaffrey too and Malik Washington. I like Luke at yeah. the uh, at, at the at Mobile. He looked pretty good. Uh, by the way, uh, always a good time to remember our good friends over at Dos Cotas Tequila. If you're here in Las Vegas, uh, check out Total Wine. Uh, you can load up on your on your Dos Cotas products over at uh, every Total Wine here in Las Vegas. If you're out and about and you want to go uh, check out some Dos Cotas Tequila, uh, check out Senior Frogs over at the Treasure Island Hotel. They always have two-for-one specials daily uh, for Dos Cotas Spirits. Uh, products. And also, if you're not here in Las Vegas, don't worry about it. Go to doscotaspirits.com, punch in the code word kickoff. You'll get 20% off your next online purchase of Doscotas Tequila. Keep your thoughts coming on the text line, don'tbebroke.com, 702 365 9200. Thanks again to Ian Cummings from Pro Football Network. We'll talk to Case Kiefer from the Las Vegas Sun and talking about him like a Raiders direction, some coaching changes that have been going on for the Raiders, all that and more coming up at 9 o'clock. But we wanted to get to uh, some conversations that we had last week from Radio Row. And one of them included up-and-coming boxer, the undefeated Tim Zhu. For so many years living in Las Vegas, almost 30 years now, and you think about all the pro sports that are here now, well, the only sport that was professional was boxing. And in Las Vegas, it was the mecca of all the biggest uh, fights of the year. And I think we got one that's coming up. Some of the great fights of the year can be counted on in Las Vegas. And Tim Zhu will be taking on Keith Thurman coming up very, very soon, Saturday, March 30th at T-Mobile Arena. Get your tickets at AXS.com, also available on Amazon Prime. Tim Zhu, I can't believe it. The Soul Taker's here with us. How are you? Good, man. I'm pleasure to be here. All right. This is going to be uh, a war. How much time will you kind of train in Las Vegas as opposed to your home in Australia? Yeah, well, I'm going to be spending the next eight weeks here. Okay, uh, great. Until the date of the fight. Uh, 
camp begun for me a long time ago. I was, I was waiting for a date. Uh, finally got the date, uh, so March 30th it is, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So Tim, I feel like water is a big deal in boxing, right? The, moving that hydration around, making sure you're making weight, and then of course mm. getting all that back in you for the fight so you can perform at your highest level. It's pretty dry here in Las Vegas, yes. and I'm sure in parts in Australia as well. What kind of transition is that like for you and, and adapting to those climates and making sure your body can perform yeah, in peak you know condition? what? Um I've been here a few times now, yeah. so I've sort of, uh, my body's like getting used to it much more now. Mm. The first time I got here, I barely couldn't even breathe. Really? <laughs> yeah. The first time I got to Vegas and, and I came here for training, couldn't breathe. Uh, my mouth would just get dry straight away. The transition and shock is, is completely different. This is why we come out two months out now, yeah. uh, so that your body just gets used to it uh, and you're feeling ready and, you, and, and it's not a shock to your system. So in that regard, like, what are the what did how did things train for you or change for you in your daily routine to go and train out here? Not only the hydration, but actually maybe even dealing with allergies that you weren't even ready for. Yeah, it was the first time I did it was was tough, and it was uh, the first time when I had that American debut, and uh, yeah, I was I was sick, I, I couldn't <laughs> breathe, I was coughing. Uh, again, everything was dry. It was it was it was it was more of a mental battle rather than a physical battle for myself. Cool. Uh, but you know what? Now we're just smarter. You you get better with, with these things, and you just you got to be proactive. Well, and everybody's at this point with their physical prime, where everybody's right here, and so yeah. those edges usually come in the in the mental area. And your opponent Keith Thurman here on your big fight on March thirtieth, I, I I believe he's moving up a weight class, yeah. right? And I know that's that's not exactly um, unique, but what kind of challenge does that present to you? Because that would be a perceived advantage in my mind, but again, uh, maybe not. Oh, uh, look, uh, he he's. He could be quicker than mm. most of my opponents. You know, the, the bigger you are in weight, the again, the slower you are, but the harder you hit. That's what they say. Uh, he could be uh, yeah, quicker. Uh, every style is different. Uh, 140, I've never fought a, one, I've fought a, a couple 147s that are moving up. Uh, it's no different, you know. It's mm -hmm. I, I bring the heat anyway. Uh, we'll see what, what he I brings. I bring the heat anyway. <laughs> Love that. Well, it got heated in the press conference against yeah, yeah. you and Keith Thurman. A lot of verbal going back and forth. It got tense. But, you know, Keith does a lot of talking. How yeah, do you yeah. plan on shutting him up? Oh, man, simple. Boxing's that good that you get to punch someone in the face. It's, <laughs> it's quite simple. Uh Punch him in the in the liver. Punch him in the rib. Just just do everything to, just to take away everything that he's uh, all the show that he's bringing up. You know all that uh, fake bravado. Yes, it is. Know? Yeah, he's playing the flute. He's trying to do all these certain things to set himself apart. But you're just all fighter. You know, and that's what you were. Uh, you know, you were born for this. I always felt because I was always a big fan of your dad's. I mean, what did he kind of tell you about living in and going to Las Vegas? Kind of like dealing with one hand the lifestyle of Las Vegas, and the other hand, let's get to business. Yeah, for me, Vegas for me has always been uh, a, a type of lifestyle where it's just peace and quiet. You know, we're in our home, uh, in our little uh, gym, and we go back and forth from there, and it's nice and relaxing at home. And you're away from home, you're away from from home, Australia, and it's a different feeling, you know. So, uh, I guess when you go down the strip, fifteen minutes, it's it's a bit different. But yeah, for me, this is this is where where it all is. You keep life simple. It stays quiet that way, doesn't it? I, I do the same thing. I don't spend that much time down here, so you're just you kind of horse to, yeah. blinders, <laughs> and you're just kind of hanging out. But obviously, you're you're in the family business. You have a legacy that uh, was set before you. Was that something that you always welcomed? Was that something that you fought against as a, as a kid? How was that for you trying to, to grow up and be on your own person after your, the success yeah. of your dad? It's, it's, it's always been a tough, 
tough to get away from the shadow, you know. But people are always going to be talking, saying, always comparing, uh, you're the sun and stuff like that. Mm. But the dynamics change, you know. Once I won the world title, it's like, you know what, it's, I made it very clear to, uh, to tell everyone what's my name. Just yeah. to make them make them aware that you know it's it's Tim Zhu, not Kostya's son, and it was a big deal for me to to get to that stage, and and I'm quite uh, happy where I'm at now. Awesome. It's Tim Zhu here with us. The Soul Taker faces Keith Thurman Saturday, March 30th, T-Mobile Arena. Get your tickets axs.com, and also you can watch it on Prime. And you know, Stephen Espinosa is here as well. You know, for so many years, you guys were providing such great stuff on Showtime. What's it like now to work with Prime? You know, it's a it's a it's a huge change, um, and it's a change that's going on throughout the sports industry. Um, you know, we've been in a process where for 40, 50 years almost, the networks have controlled production. HBO did it with boxing. Showtime did it with oh, boxing. Yeah. It's happening in the NFL. Now, as we see sports moving to streaming, um, the streamers aren't doing the production. You know, uh, MLS on Apple TV, MLS does the production. Um, so this is a process of setting up a new standalone production, which is a lot of work, but more importantly, for the fighters, for the audience, for the fight fans, for the sport of boxing, a huge opportunity. Uh, Amazon is absolutely incredible at selling people things that they didn't know they needed. Ain't that the truth? So, <laughs> That's so true. If they can apply that a little bit to a boxing pay-per-view, then there's uh, a huge expansion of the audience that's possible here. And I've always looked at, at boxing as kind of the Notre Dame of the sports world. You're kind of independent. You're making your deals directly with all the people. And earlier this week, we had news of the merger. I know it doesn't involve you, but ESPN, Warner Brothers, and, and Fox merging all their IP. You're an executive. To me, that reads is probably not so great for the consumer and everybody else. But but how do you see that business deal, especially with how you conduct business in this market? Well, I, I think it's actually an, an interesting thing. I think in the in the long run, fans are going to appreciate it because I don't think it's that fans don't like to stream sports. It's they don't like to have six different apps. Yeah, the to complication. Get the sports that they yes, want. Steven. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you know, if I got NFL from this app and NBA from this app and boxing from this app. That's when it becomes. But if you give someone one app, and you can get the NBA, you can get combat sports, you get you get 75%. I think even if it's sort of expensive, and that's the big question, yeah. is how much is this going to cost? Even if it's expensive, I think people will pay for the convenience and not having to search five different apps to find the game that you want. Fair enough. Tim Zhu, Steven Espinoza, make sure you get your tickets, AXS.com, March 30th. This is going to be the fight of the year at T-Mobile Arena. Tim Zhu against Keith Thurman. Tim, lastly, what are the last things you want to think about when you start thinking about predictions for the fight? Because everyone's going to ask you, what do you want to see? What's your visualization, how this is going to go? Oh, KO, man, KO. In spectacular fashion, you know, type of uh, a sleeping moment. <laughs> I love it. Tim, thank you again for your time. Uh, thank, thank you, you. Stephen. Thank you, guys. We're back after this on Raider Nation Radio. Want even more of this party? On Twitter, make sure and follow Clay Baker at Clay Baker Radio, Vinny Bonsignor at Vinny Bonsignor, and Lindsey Brown at Lindsey Brown 35. And now, back to the morning tailgate. Case Keefer will join us in just a few minutes from the Las Vegas Sun here, back here on the morning tailgate. You know, it's funny, uh, Vinny, because... We see like this is still like the hiring time for the Raiders staff, especially to get bolstered and, and to find certain fits. Because you know earlier in the week we found out that Deshaun Foster was mm -hmm. able to find greener pastures at UCLA. I can't believe it. He's now going to be the head coach of the Bruins, but you know he was signed and uh, to be the Raiders' running back coach. Yeah, I don't know if he ever signed a contract, so that's a little bit of a oh, distinction okay. to make. Um, and how, who can blame him for going Not back to his all matter yeah. to be a head coach? While we're on that, 
What does it say about UCLA? Nobody's really talking about this. But Chip Kelly left being a head coach at UCLA, a head coach, mm-hmm. to go become an offensive coordinator someplace else. Um, I, you know, working in Los Angeles for as long as I did, I always wondered um, how in UCLA really was. Uh, and and I, for him to say, look, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to win here. I'm tired of it. I'm going to go be an offensive coordinator someplace else. I think really says a lot about UCLA and that job we wish Deshaun Foster uh, well. He was a lo- you know local legend, uh, Tustin High School in in Orange County. Played at UCLA. Obviously played in the NFL. I think he would have been a fabulous running backs coach here for the Raiders. But you know to go be back to be your, the head coach at your alma mater. Uh, that's a pretty big yeah, deal. So nobody, it's incomparable, right? Uh, absolutely. But you're right about Chip Kelly to wow. go and take an offensive coordinator job at the Ohio State University. When's that ever happened? That doesn't seem like the most lateral move, does it? No, I mean, like, <laughs> say what you want. To get the hell out of there. Yeah, <laughs> right. but no, now they're it, now they're both in the Big Ten now. Or, yeah, or the team wanted him to get the hell out of there. Right? No, no, they 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 wanted to retain him, and there were a lot of. Calls. You saw those kids and how they reacted once they introduced. Well, the kid, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, and Deshaun's very. Pu- yeah, it's more about Deshaun. For yeah, sure. it's more about Deshaun than 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 Chip. Um, but I don't. I, it's kind of unprecedented for me. That a that a head coach at a premier program. I mean, they are oh, a yes. Big Ten school. But oh, yeah. We're in the Pac-12. To go be an offensive coordinator someplace else. That's has that ever it happened? It is the. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is the. <laughs> it is. And UCLA is going to be competing in the Big Ten, are they not? Yeah, they're so in the, starting maybe, this year. Maybe it's about Ohio State saying we are gathering all potential uh, beacons of information. I just, I, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. I don't know us. many of these people that leave the the being the king of their kingdom. <laughs> To go be King of the castle, an assistant, something. I just yeah, at another college. I mean, normally if you're a head coach at right, a prestigious university, yeah. you're going to be a head coach at another prestigious university or another university or an OC at the NFL level or something like that. Which, That's the more, more normal move. Yeah, it's never like this. It's not he, a lateral move. Yeah. It could just be where Chip wants to get. I don't know why he would because the, the money is so good at, good at the head coaching position. I mean, is there a better job in America than a head coach of a of a football program right now? In I terms think it's of becoming, like buyout. Mm-hmm. But I think he want maybe he wanted to be more free and clear to get back into the show and maybe the show didn't come calling this year but oh, if I'm doing okay. an OC one year I'm not committed long term to this school maybe that helps I don't know I also think, speculating yeah. it, reading you know some of the some of the um my friends back in back in LA I think he got tired of the recruiting got tired right. of the the NIL stuff I think there's a lot of coaches yeah. that want to get out of college that's why when that you're when you just said wasn't trying to cut you off but when mm-hmm. you said is there a better job i i actually think there are there's a, there's there's probably easier jobs but is there a better paid job in terms of you do one you have one decent year and some people give you a call and all of a sudden uh would you like a 10-year extension for a hundred million dollars right. and then when we buy it out you get 99 of it <laughs> you know so that's sort of, it's like yeah it's volatile and and the environment is probably too hostile for a lot of these people to be like yeah i want to stick around for this yeah. Hard pass. Yeah. Hard um, pass. It, it, I wonder, I mean, we've already saw it. Saban step down, and I think he probably got a little tired of of, of, of everything that was going on <laughs> in college football. Yeah, and, I think it, it, it had something to do with it. It's a massive grind, and um, and nobody is ever happy. But when you set such high standards, maybe you have to like continue to keep pushing yourself where you don't want to go. And also UCLA is one of those uh, prestigious universities that keeps running this awful de- deficit because their athletic department, I remember, was in 2022 said so they were they were at like you know they were almost like 28 million in you know in debt a lot of sports you know? were going to get cut yeah that's, that's, that's why so, they flipped right essentially right. their reasoning yeah, yeah so now that they're going to be flush with money or at least get back to a spot where they feel comfortable 
and be solvent again, maybe that had something to do with it. Well, I think the bottom line probably uh, is that because of the, the, the changing landscape, there's going to be certain schools that are more in than others. Mm-hmm. And UCLA has never and quite it, been that, acted like that. Correct. So I think he's saying, I'm just spinning my wheels, frustrated. I'm always going to be that mm. seven and six, six and seven, you know, maybe eight and five team all the time because we're not, this school isn't going to, isn't willing to go. And maybe that's a great thing for UCLA. Maybe they're making the right decision from yeah. a from a academic from a school standpoint. But if you're a coach, you want to be somewhere where you feel all the tools are going to be at your disposal disposal to do your best. Otherwise, you're going to get blamed for it. And he was getting blamed for it. I know my good friend Bill Plaschke kept calling for his head these last couple of years. Fire, fire him. And, they still have expectations to win a national title, or or just be more competitive than they are. And and I do wonder. And I think if this is a signal for Chip Kelly leaving. If they really are. I don't know. I don't think that they are, to be honest with you. Well, and okay. I wonder, too, uh, because it's the, the college is the feeder system for the NFL. I wonder if we'll see some of these coaches take the Cliff Kingsbury route where I'm going to be an OC and I'm going to attach myself to this, this quarterback and I'm going to show you how well I can scheme it up for him. So when he gets drafted because everybody's getting, you know, going quarterback crazy. You know what's a great thing to do? Bring in the guy that helped uh, develop him, that knows him super well, right? That we're besties. We can we can expedite a lot of this. Well, and, and he's and, young enough. He wants to be a head coach. Well, but that's what I'm and saying, Vinny. And so situation. you position yourself right. with, with the next C.J. Stroud. You become C.J. Stroud's coach. And then when C- next C.J. Stroud goes up for the draft, you say, well, I, I, I kind of want to go to the NFL. Who wants to who wants to potentially hire me? And then it'll probably be a team that has a top pick for a quarterback. He'll go there, and then that will create a, a – th- I think that's how some coaches will try to recycle their image or just try to break in in a different way. And, yes, and in his case, he has to because he has to remind people, this was why I was hired by the Cardinals to begin with. I'm this offensive guru. Correct. I'm this offensive genius. Mm-hmm. I need to go someplace where that's going to be accentuated. Correct. His failures in, in Arizona, um, you know – I feel like the Cardinals just weren't a very good organization as well. So there was a lot of dysfunction going on. Remember, there was, I think, some, some I, I don't know, I, want, I don't want to say exactly what was going on with the general manager, but there wasn't there some legal issues that went on with the, with the GM, and there, were, there was a lot of dysfunction. And bad at culture. Owners, yeah, bad culture, and maybe he was partly the victim uh, of that. And now he needs to go, like Lindsay said, rehabilitate his, uh, his image. But at some point, we're going to talk about um, who exactly is on the Raiders staff uh, right now, maybe we're running out of time right now to do that. But uh, there is an update on on where this staff is. There's still that running back position is still a little bit up in the air on who they're going to replace. Deshaun, who is here for all of what a week and a half uh, or so, so who exactly is going to be the running back coach? But at some point, we'll get to it yeah. here today. Let's get to it. We'll talk to Case Kiefer, and then we'll get into some changes up at VegasNation.com. Vinny's great story. We'll get into that as well here on Raider Nation Radio as we enter the third hour. 